Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thankful for our Savior that He was wounded for us, that He's willing to suffer the scorn and reproach of coming to this earth and being treated as a criminal, as an outcast, as a blasphemer, so that He could take our place, so that He could um, uh, allow us to be able to share in His glory, which we do not deserve. And we're thankful for a day like this in which we're reminded again of His resurrection and that He now lives and that He is coming again. And help us as we prepare for that day uh, as we live for You in holiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our first two classes, we've seen that um, ideas matter. Ideas matter because they, uh, they determine how we will worship Either we're going to worship the God of the Bible or we're going to worship someone or something else. And last week we talked about three major worldviews that you're going to come uh, into contact with when you talk with people. Uh, there, there is a pre-modern worldview, there's a modern worldview, and a post-modern worldview. You could basically separate them into two if you wanted to and just say uh, a Christian worldview and a secular worldview. Uh, but we've looked at those in, in those terms and we wanted to look at their key beliefs and how consistent or inconsistent they are with biblical Christianity. So today we want to look a little bit more closely at these three worldviews because you're going to come into contact with them frequently when you see people and, and perhaps as we looked through this material last week you were uh, starting to see that. Um, and so let's... Uh, Let's, let's start to think about these uh, a little bit more carefully. There's a uh, big, beautiful Presbyterian church building in Los Angeles that was very close to the epicenter of the big earthquake in the 1990s. And the congregation was both dumbfounded and ecstatic to find that the building was completely intact after this earthquake, which was... I mean, even being at the center, you would expect of all places that would be the, the one to, to crumble. Even the stained glass windows were unbroken. It seemed like a miracle that the building was still standing. But just to be safe, they called in the engineers to check things out. And upon further investigation, they discovered that the whole building had actually moved off of its foundations, making it utterly useless and unsafe, and they had to spend. They would have had to spend millions of dollars trying to to repair that, effectively tear the whole thing down and rebuild from the beginning. In our view of God and reality, are foundational to our worldview. Much like this church building in California, if if the foundations are off, if we have been moved off of the foundation, then our whole worldview has to be torn down and rebuilt. But if it's solid, then we should see a solid and predictable structure on top of it. And so, the biblical consistency of our worldview is dependent upon our interpretation of, of God in the world. So let's spend the, the rest of our time just thinking about what that means in terms of these three major world views. Let's start with some definitions. Um, we've mentioned a few of these before, so I'll just r remind you of these. Theology, 
Uh, what is a good definition of theology or simple definition of theology? Ology means what? The, the study of theo or theos, God. Okay, the study of God. So theology is the study of God. And, and that as Christians, that's the heart of who we are. That we need to understand who God is. It's, it, we need to grow in the knowledge of God. And so our theology determines our worldview, or we could say it this way, our theology is our worldview. How we think about God is, the, is foundational. It's that structure that we cannot move off of. Second thing we need to uh, talk about that we'll, we'll talk about more detail in a few classes is metaphysics. Metaphysics. Uh, it's a word that philosophers use every day but it's one that we don't really think about at all. Now, metaphysics is different than physics, like you're going to get in school. It's, metaphysics is the study that, uh, it, that is above and beyond physics. That's the idea of meta, above and beyond. Uh, it looks beyond what can be seen and observed in the field of natural science. So it goes beyond what you can see in normal physics. It's, it, it, it goes beyond that to the to the supernatural, so to speak. It asks questions such as, what is the ultimate reality? Or, is there a God? That's what we'll talk about next week. Um, the existence of God. These are metaphysical questions. So, metaphysics is about a quest for the ultimate truth. It goes beyond the physical realm that we can see and measure. It's a philosophical attempt to bring sense and coherence out of all the incongruous elements of this world. That's what R.C. Sproul says in his book. At the heart of this study of meta metaphysics, okay, and this, by the way, happens within the secular world just as well as in ours, and that the, at the heart of it is this question, how does God relate, re relate to reality? How does God relate to reality? And the answer to this question can be illustrated with these two boxes on the bottom of your first sheet there on the handout. Okay, either the universe is open or the universe is closed. That's how God re relates to reality. It's one of those two ways. Ways. So in an open system, there on, on the right, um, it means that our reality, our natural order, is open to some supernatural power, some act outside of it. A closed system there on your left is one that is materialistic, that, that matter is all that there is that the materials are all that matter. There's no one or nothing outside that can intervene inside of our universe. That's a closed system. Okay, so that's the answer to the question, uh, how does God re relate to reality? He either doesn't relate, he doesn't have any sort of, of way to intervene into reality, or he does relate. Those are the two options. And there are many in our uh, cultures in our culture today who, who think in, in one, one of these ways or the other. And we can un, uh, essentially understand uh, reality in, 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 in either an open system or a closed system. And so now let's think about our three worldviews, pre-modern, modern, and post-modern, and think about how they relate to a, one of these two systems. Because this is foundational for how we're going to think about everything else th when it comes to life. Um, our view of how God relates to reality is foundational for how we're going to think about everything in life.
Jennifer's passing the handout, our uh, sign-up sheet here for um, for refreshments. If you'd like to help in that way, that would be great. So first, the pre-modern worldview. This first worldview we talked about last week perceives all of existence from the perspective of divine creation, providence, and redemption. As Christians, this is our understanding of how the world works. So let me um, just get you to think about this in terms of God's attributes, two of His, His fundamental attributes. One is that God is transcendent. And then the second is that God is imminent. God is transcendent and God is imminent. So when I say transcendent, I mean that He is far above all of His creation. He is, he is not smaller than His universe. He's not confined to something that we could, you know, we can't put God in a box. He is larger than His universe because He created the universe. Uh, one way to describe um, creation is, is everything that is not God. And so, if we think of how vast creation is, um, God is bigger than that because uh, God made everything that is. God is transcendent, so He is above and beyond His creation. But God also is imminent. So let's think about this term imminent uh, because it's kind of a funny word. And there you have a, a kind of a brief definition in the parentheses. Uh, it is near at hand. It's not only that He is above and beyond much higher than creation, that, that God is high and lifted up, but also He is near to His people. Now, when we say imminent, we don't mean eminent, like an eminent leader would be the, the primary leader, the top, the highest ranking leader. Uh, we don't mean imminent with an I, like I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T, uh, like Jesus coming is imminent. It's, it's, uh, it could happen at any time. Or like there's this uh, imminent danger. That's not what we mean. Instead, imminent means that he is, uh, that God is near. He's near at hand. He's in the world. He, he pervades every aspect of his creation and rules over every aspect of creation. There's not one particle in all of the universe of which God uh, does not say, this is mine. He has control over every single part of it. So let's think about God's imminence in four ways. This is our pre-modern worldview, and we're just... Uh, trying to review here. So let's turn to 1 Acts 16, Acts 17, Acts 17, 28. And the first blank there is that God is imminent in His being. God is imminent in His being. Someone read verse 28 for us. Start in, um, start in verse 26 and read through verse 28 for us. Yes, please. Okay, so uh, verse 28, In Him we live and move and have our existence. We cannot exist apart from God's being, apart from God's life-giving power. Um, and uh, Paul here is speaking to philosophers and he's saying that, that this is 
how God is is active within His creation. Psalm 139.8, we're not going to turn there, but it says, you know, if I go to the heavens, you are there. If I descend to the depths of Sheol, you're there. No matter where I go in, in the world, you're there. If I go to the highest mountain, the lowest part of the sea, um, you're there. That's, that's God being imminent near in His being. That's clear from the Scriptures. Secondly, God is imminent in history. God is imminent in history by His providential ordering of events. So from the time of creation, from the time that time first began, God was imminent in His creation. He was there at hand. He was near. And He will be all the way until the end. That's the story of the Bible. Third, God is imminent in the, the incarnation. In the incarnation of Christ. Someone read John 1.14 for us. Okay, so the Word became flesh and that Word is described for us or identified for us in the first several verses as being Christ. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through Him. That's speaking of Christ. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. It's not talking about the Father. The Father did not become flesh. The Son became flesh. And so, God is imminent in that way. If we want to know that God cares for us, that He's near to us, we look at the Son, look at the fact that He actually came to us in human form. Number four, God is imminent by the Holy Spirit. So Christ left this earth not because He was frustrated with us or He's tired of dealing with all the, the trouble here. No, he, he left so that the Holy Spirit could come. And the Holy Spirit came and He lives within us. He is the seal of our redemption. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, He's he, a payment, down payment of our inheritance. So you want to know whether or not you're going to receive an inheritance in the next life? Do you have the Holy Spirit of God within you? That's what Romans 8, if you've been uh, memorizing those verses with us, um, that, that's what Romans 8 teaches us. That, that He who has the Spirit of God is, is the Son of God. And so, uh, God is transcendent. But He's not only transcendent, He's also imminent. And uh, in addition to that, the fact that He is both high and lifted up and He is near at hand, He also speaks. God is a revelator. He, he speaks. He's a speaking God. He doesn't just exist. He doesn't just interact with everything that's in, in creation. He actually speaks and tells people about who He is and how we ought to think about Him. Francis, Francis Schaeffer puts it this way, God is here, God is there, and He is not silent. And so that leads us to the second point. There is communication between God and the natural order. God reveals Himself both in nature. Psalm 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day after day, uh, they pour forth knowledge. And night after night, they speak. Okay, we look at nature, we know that God exists. So God speaks to us through nature. Now, He doesn't give us any um, salvific revelation through nature. Someone can't just look at the trees and understand that Jesus died on a tree or something like that. 
Um, there needs to be, that's, okay, if we, if we think back to our systematic theology, we took 26 weeks to go through that. Um, uh, that, that fir- this first part, God speaking to us in nature, is what theologians call general revelation. That God speaks to everyone. Everyone knows that God exists because it's clear through nature. Romans 1 is a passage that I've drawn your attention to several times in this series. And that is that, that everyone knows that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they, each person who's ever existed, are without excuse. They have no excuse to say, well, I didn't really know God existed because God's made it clear to them through the, the, uh, the heavens, Psalm 119, the skies, the, the uh, creation itself. So God speaks generically in that way. Secondly, He speaks to us in Scripture. He speaks to us in nature and He speaks to us in Scripture. And this is what theologians call special revelation. Special revelation. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active. It's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to pierce through the dividing thunder of soul and spirit. That's the Word of God. That's God's special revelation. Nature can't do that. It can't pierce through your soul and, and uh, help you to understand the Gospel and Jesus Christ. The, gospel, the, uh, the Word, the actual special revelation of God can do that. And so we'll look at this more uh, when we look at the study of knowledge in a few weeks. So, let's go back to page one, and you tell me which system we believe in, according to the Bible, which system would pre-modern thinkers believe in? Open or closed system? Okay, open. We have God, our supernatural uh, ruler, who is active within creation. He is high and lifted up. He is the creator of it but he's also active and near. He, he, is, um, he is speaking to us. So, these two orders, we could say the natural, okay, that's inside the box, and the supernatural, they are distinguished, but they're not separate in the sense that God is, is working through His creation by means of providence, that's just kind of the normal secondary causation type of work that God does every day. Okay, that, that, that God leads us to a place. He doesn't work in miraculous ways like He did in the Bible where He's you know, stopping the sun or parting the Red Sea, those kinds of miracles, or turning water into wine. Those aren't the type of miracles that God is doing. But God also had at one time done miracles and God will do miracles again. Uh, during the tribulation, if you read through the book of Revelation, you'll see that very clearly that all these signs like the plagues that come on Egypt are going to come on the world for their sin and so God is active in that way he is working in creation either through providential means kind of normal ordinary means where a person who doesn't believe in God in the sense that they don't want to acknowledge him as God um, might say well that's just that's just chance or that's luck or that's just how it happens we understand that to be providential means God working through every aspect of life but God also works in miraculous ways or has historically. And I think we have to say that salvation is a miracle as well. Um, so, uh, at, at the very least. Alright, any questions about the pre-modern worldview and how it relates to these um, two types of systems? Or, or anything that we've talked about so far? The first two blanks. 
Uh, God is eminent in His being, and God is eminent in history. Those, those two. Okay, being and history. Let's turn our attention now to the other two worldviews, and the importance of this is not to give you some other options of what you can think about. I hope you're already convinced in your mind that that God exists and that He is working within His creation. But this is for us to be able to remember the purpose of this class is to help understand some of these other worldviews so that we can know how to combat them, how to how to go against them when they come up in ordinary conversation. Now they're they're not going to say, Okay, let's start talking about worldviews. I have a modern worldview and um you have a pre modern worldview, so how do they differ? That's not going to be how it happens. So you're kind of remember, you're kind of looking at the fruit, their words, their actions how they live, what they say, and you're trying to figure out the soil from which, as the illustration we used last week, the soil from which their worldviews come. And as you do that, you start to help them to see, let's change metaphors now, that they actually have a terrible foundation. Their foundation is like that Presbyterian church building that had shifted and is worthless. So everything in life is messed up. Uh, because they don't have a proper worldview. Now, that doesn't mean they never may have any proper thoughts or right thoughts or they don't say anything that's ever of any truth. Remember, uh, sometimes what happens, many times what happens, uh, secular people will borrow from the Christian worldview and they'll say, this is true, and they'll acknowledge something true when you, start, when you finally drill down and get, get it from them they'll acknowledge that as true, but it's only because they borrowed from the Christian worldview. What they really need to do is have a proper foundation so that all their thoughts are held into captivity to the thoughts of Christ. All right, so the modern worldview. Uh, the modern worldview. Last week we talked about two uh, faces, the two faces of modernity, this modern worldview. The Enlightenment period very much uh, had much to do with this, and then the Romantic period, the Romanticism. And we said that those two periods of time and ways of thinking were defined by their view of knowledge. Enlightenment thinkers believed that reason alone was the pathway to knowledge. Reason alone was the pathway to knowledge. There was no external um, thought that we don't have to have faith at all in order to understand things. Um, we simply just have to, to have reason. So if we can just kind of think through all these things. That's why I had Aristotle and Socrates and things. They kind of sat around in circles and just asked a lot of questions. Let's try to use our own human reason to come up with what true knowledge is. The Romantics were different, but similar. Romantics said that, that passion was the way to knowledge. That we just got to feel our way to it. It wasn't so much sitting around and thinking. It was, okay, how do we feel? And, and, and the re reason that they're similar is because that both of them believed that... Um, that they could gain knowledge apart from God, apart from faith. And we have people in our day who still think in these terms. So what implications does a modern worldview have upon our view of God and reality? Well, like the church building that we mentioned at the beginning, in a very short time, the foundations had been shifted because most of society prior to the, the 1500s had thought that, there, that, that God operated within His creation. And although they don't all believe in God, they had a pre-modern worldview. We recognize not everyone who has a pre-modern worldview is a Christian, but every Christian has a pre-modern worldview. Okay? So, so what happened over time is they started to shift 
And when they shifted, they actually came off of the foundation from which they were attached. And so modernism attempted to offer all the truths, meanings, purposes, and and structure that Christianity offered. You know, that's the building, the stained glass, still there, everything's still intact. But it wasn't grounded in God. That was the difference. Instead, they now grounded all their understanding of all of reality and what they saw in man and their own human reason or feeling. Uh, the, the theologian David Wells aptly describes the Enlightenment then as a Christian heresy. Uh, the, basically, Romanticism, Enlightenment period, a Christian heresy. They, they took all of what uh, that all the sorts of ways that we started to think and they started to shift it instead of the foundation being on God change it to man uh, so in, in their thought God is reduced he becomes um, less of a person who's interacting in society and more just a person who was the creator that's what the moderns would believe and um, so you can Imagine how this becomes a short trip from their type of thinking to what we're going to see in postmodernism here in just a few minutes. The religion of the Enlightenment was deism. Uh, first of all, before we get there, wh- back to page one, which system do you think the moderns understood? Which system do you think the moderns believe in? Either that God was involved in his creation or that God was removed from his creation, not not able to intervene. He was removed, right? It was it was a closed system. Okay, they they believed that God was the one who created the world and then he just kind of sat back and we'll talk about that here in just a second because deism really is uh, that sort of thinking. That God reveals himself especially in a in in a self expressive way uh, is not something that the deists would believe. Instead, God is limited. He is cut off from His creation. It's essentially seeing God as, as a clockmaker. He, he puts everything in motion, winds it up, then He has nothing to do with it. It's all, self, um, it, it's all self-activated. It's uh, self-sustaining. And so they would not believe in a, an imminent God. They believe in a transcendent God He's high and lifted up, but he has no interaction with his creation. God, they believed, was real, but he was far off and aloof and irrelevant to humans. He was not imminent, personal, active, involved in human affairs. Obviously, they would deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he would come in human flesh. And so with deism and their clockmaker God, the God of Christianity was rejected in favor of this totally transcendent God. Okay, So, we talked about, with regard to the pre-modern worldview, and our understanding of an open system, that, that God is both transcendent and imminent. They're saying He's only transcendent. That's deism. And so, basically, humans are left to their own thinking, their own minds. That was the, what the Enlightenment brought about. Now, Romanticism brought about the opposite heresy. Okay, so instead of God being high and lifted up, just transcendent, they believed that God was in everything. He was in nature. These ideas of Mother Nature and how He can kind of speak to the trees and, and that sort of thing. Um, that God manifests Himself in physical nature. Um, you know, treating God like a friend 
uh, and nothing else. Okay, obviously, um, you know, in a sense, God is befriends us, but but in the sense that um, many people talk about Him, uh, they they talk about Him irreverently and not as the Creator, the Judge of all the earth, the one who will come with judgment. And so, Romantics believe that we should commune with physical nature. And so that led to a love of the outdoors, and um, which, which event, eventually, and you see this even today, border, borders on idolatry. And um, it also led to human nature uh, being the, the prize of, of society. That is, that our passion and intuition is, is most important. And so, instead of there being a God who is high and lifted up and who owns all things and who is in control of all things and who will judge all things one day, they, they saw God only as imminent. Okay? That He was only a near God. He was in everything. You, you might have even heard this sort of idea. Uh, they, they take the idea of God's omnipresence as being uh, sort of an, uh, a pantheistic idea. That is, that God is everything. Everything is God. That's not what the Bible teaches. Modernists believe that mankind is already in communion with God by virtue, by virtue of his own passions and intuition. And so here's, here's where this leads. We don't need to be redeemed. Hey, there's nothing that needs to change. There's nothing that needs to be uh, bought back. There's nothing that's, that's wrong. We are in tune with nature. That's who we are. We're part of nature. We're part of this circle of life, so to speak. Well, how does this really matter for us? Well, this may actually shed some light on why this country's idea of the sanctity of human life and liberty has changed over time. It is often said that the United States was founded as a Christian nation, but I hope you recognize that many of the founders, while, while many of the founders were Christians, many of them were not. Uh, all of those men came out of the Enlightenment period. Okay, the Enlightenment period is the one where they think that God is only transcendent. He's not involved in creation. And so you can see how that sort of worldview might inform their drafting of the Declaration and the Constitution. They wanted to make sure that man's mind was king. Right? They didn't want to put all the power in one person. They put it in the collection of human minds. And um, many of what was said may appear as as biblical, but not not necessarily. For example, Thomas Jefferson uh, drafted many of our nation's documents based upon these sort of uh, enlightenment presuppositions. And as you're probably aware, he also wrote his own version of the Bible, called it the Jefferson Bible. And, um, and based on his uh, pursuit and love of reason, man's reason over faith, he basically went through the Bible and removed all references of the supernatural. Why might he do something like that? Because he believed in a closed system. Right, page one? God is transcendent. He is high and lifted up, but he's not near. Okay? So, so we don't need to worry about that. Yeah, he, he created the world, but that's, that's all he did. And the end of his Bible ends with the words, and they rolled the tomb into place. So the God of the Bible is effectively dead for a deist and dead for Thomas Jefferson. Ben Franklin, Thomas Paine, and many others wrote against Christianity and the supernatural as well. 
Now, uh, it's interesting to note that when they wrote the Declaration, they framed the sanctity of human life and human liberty not as a function of the image of God in man, which resides uniquely in human beings as opposed to animals. Okay? They don't have the image of God in them. Uh, but, but the reason that they wanted to protect human life and human liberty was because it was self-evident according to their own human reason. Remember, what was king? It wasn't God. It was man. It was man and his reason. So we need to protect that. And so if, it, if, if their understanding of those things come from their reason, then their reason is also going to interpret and apply how they live their lives. And those interpretations and applications will change depending on whose notion of reason is being consulted. And that's why you see so many inconsistencies and so many um, abuses of reason throughout history. For example, in the 19th century, the, the right to liberty was wrongly interpreted not to apply to women, blacks, or Native Americans. Why was that? Because at the time, they were basing what they thought on what? Not on what the Bible said, not on what God said, but on human reason. And that actually fit with, with how they... They, they had drafted those documents. Today, the right to life has been wrongly interpreted not to apply to the unborn or mentally incapacitated. Who knows what it's going to be next century? Right? They, these things change over time because there's no solid foundation. The foundation has shift, shifted with the earthquake that has taken place. And as long as the foundation is not on uh, the Scriptures, on what God has told us, on, uh, based on faith that, that God gives to us, then, then, uh, then there's going to be all sorts of crazy ideas about where we should go as a society. Certainly there are much worse sorts of governments to, to uh, be a part of. In fact, I think every other human government that currently existed, exists is nothing in comparison to ours. Uh, but I hope you recognize it's not a perfect, perfectly drawn up system and that there were unbelievers who were um, heading that up in many cases. Alright, any questions on the modern worldview? See how some of that plays out in, in our society, how, how it affects the way that people think? Alright, let's quickly move to the postmodern worldview. Um, postmodern worldview started around the 18th century into the 19th century. Um, and it obscured the clear distinction between the supernatural and the natural. So postmodernism simply believes the question of whether or not God exists is irre irrelevant. It doesn't really matter if God exists. So um, whether or not God interacts with the world, their ideas, who cares? That's the postmoderns. And they even believe that it's hard or impossible to, to define reality. We talked about this last time. You know, what is reality? Do we really exist? I mean, and, and so, so let's think back to the, the first page. I said there's two options, really, on open or closed system. But postmodernism actually creates kind of a third option. That there is no box. And the box doesn't really matter. It's hard to draw that one. Okay. But that's the idea is they simply deny that there's a box. 
And so trying to draw a, a boundary line around reality and then connect God to it somehow, either He's not involved in it or He is involved in it, is, is silly to them. And if that simply makes no sense to you, that's okay, because the closer that you come to understanding postmodernism, the more you realize how truly incoherent it is, and that is what much of our society believes. They, they even would agree that, that their system is not coherent. A belief in no box is func- functionally the same as a belief in a closed box that, that God doesn't have any interaction in the world. So how did this come about? Well, as we discussed last week, if modernism began when authority was moved from God to man, postmodernism began when man rightly began to doubt that he deserved that authority. You know, should we, we really be like the deists, the Enlightenment, Enlightenment period people, and, and believe that, that man is, is, is qualified to be able to think in this way? And so they, they started to become skeptical of that. And they're right to be critical of that. But instead of returning to faith over reason, that God is, is the source of understanding and knowledge, that He is the source of wisdom, right? The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Instead of turning back to that, they gave up on the pursuit altogether and said, why bother? Why bother trying to figure out what's real and what's not? And so they effectively believe that either truth can't be found or there's no truth to find at all. If, if we have, after 5,000 years of human civilization, haven't found truth or haven't gotten any closer to the truth, then why keep pursuing it? It's like, you know, the guy who keeps digging in his ground for gold, he, he digs a whole mine underneath his house. And if you haven't found anything after 50 years, why keep looking? That's the way that the postmoderns look at the pursuit of knowledge. Their understanding of God is that He cannot be known at all, so stop trying to pursue Him. Um, so what are the implications? The implications of this. I, I uh, probably should... see. I need to move through this pretty quickly. Um, postmodernism in the sense that I'm using it has, comes in several forms. Okay, so I'm, I'm using it in a generic form, but it actually uh, captures a, a number of different types of thinking. First, existentialists. Existentialists. Um, you don't have to try to spell that out. Basically, they believe that there is no God and no definable reality. And um, so all we're going to do with life is just kind of bewail the m- meaninglessness of human existence. Um, and just kind of go through life in despair because you can't really know anything. That's existentialism. Next, Friedrich Nietzsche believed that God is dead and that reality isn't definable, that we ourselves should act like gods and treat reality like a work of art uh, left to us to craft and mold. So since God doesn't exist, we, we just make life the best that we can. And, and Nietzsche actually had much to do with the way that the Nazi party ended up coming about. That, that you know what, it doesn't matter what God thinks because God doesn't exist, so we'll just live how we think is best and power is going to triumph and we're going to make what is most pleasing to us uh, important and of value to us and our society. Those types of thinkers, you'll see pockets of those types of people and maybe 
element of their thinking and some of the people that you come into contact with, but more common are those who find meaning in a meaningless universe. Um, they, they find meaning. Like you, You'll hear people give the, the generic phrase, even though they're not Christians, you know they're not Christians, they say things like, everything happens for a purpose. You ever heard someone say that? That's clearly an unbeliever. Everything happens for a purpose. So, so these people uh, actually find meaning. They're postmoderns, though. They actually find meaning in, in society, but it's not because of God. They, they're suspicious of anyone who claims to believe anything, know anything, or have discovered any kind of truth. Have you ever tried to explain to one of these people the truth of the Bible? And they're just like, we can't, we can't accept that. How can you possibly say that you know something? Right? They've actually made... These are what are known as deconstructionists. They actually deconstruct. So it's like we have our worldview built on our solid foundation of God and the Bible. We have this beautiful building. They try to um, not come in and just knock over our furniture. They try to start taking our building apart. So you can't do that. You can't have a building like that. And if you want an example of this sort of thinking... uh, Watch the Matrix films. The Matrix. Okay. What is reality? Right? Is, it, is this really life or, or is this a big dream? That was my Keanu Reeves. Best I could do. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep working on that. Um, so, so these people, uh, you're going to find them uh, that, that they will search for a purpose in life, but, but they don't find it in God. And then finally, there's this kind of generic phrase of uh, just postmodernists in general. And they, uh, underst- they, they um, basically face the meaninglessness of life, since God doesn't exist in their mind. The meaninglessness of life, instead of bewailing it and say, oh, this is terrible, or instead of trying to find purpose in it, like the deconstructionists, instead they, they mock it. They live to uh, eat, drink, and mar- be merry, for tomorrow they die. And this you'll see in uh, Seinfeld, The Simpsons, those kinds of shows, that, that they, they don't have any uh, clue about what God desires for them because they don't really care, and so they're just going to kind of go through life and mock everything that there is. Okay, so with these three worldview par- paradigms, we moved from a transcendent God and a personal God to one that was either, either transcendent or imminent, but not both, right? That was the modernist view, to a God that really doesn't even exist in the postmodern mind. So how do we explain this and respond to the chaotic nonsense that these other worldviews present? And I think uh, it comes down to our understanding of the Scriptures. We need to be clear on these principles that I began with, that God is transcendent, that God is high and lifted up. Read through Isaiah chapter 6. Read through Psalm 19, Psalm 139. That God is God is, uh, is the Creator and that He is over all things. And then we also need to recognize that God is imminent. And, and certainly, I hope you can see how clear that is in just in seeing it in nature, but also in His special revelation that He's told us what He expects of us. He's sent Jesus Christ to uh, live among us. We need to be clear about the doctrine of God. We also need to be clear about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, Romanticism is a threat to the proper understanding of the Spirit because 
the, the Holy Spirit is really God living within us. And, um, and the Romantics would believe that, that, that the Holy Spirit is not living within us, that He's more just an extension of our feelings and that, that we can't... Uh, we, we shouldn't really see God as, as high and lifted up transcendent, but just the God who is in nature, in us, and that's it. Um, so, so the way that that's going to show up is when someone says, you know, you don't have to read the Bible or go to church in order to understand what God wants for you. Just listen to the Holy Spirit. Is if you hear that kind of thinking, that's a, that comes from a romantic type of philosophy. It's all about our feelings. That's why the, the local church is so important. Um, we need to make sure that we're a part of a, a something bigger than us that, that is, you know, Paul says that the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. So, so we come together and recognize that, that we, as a body of believers, come to understand God's Word properly and know it better. We also ought to improve on our uh, doctrine of man and improve on our thinking with regard to the doctrine of man, which comes from the Scripture again. Not that man is king, but that, that man is in a certain relationship between us and God. Um, <coughs> That, uh, that God has made everything beautiful for its time, Ecclesiastes 3.11. Um, so what you're going to find in the majority of what you see on TV, what you see in the news, what you see in your coworkers and your family members and things that are unbelievers is that our society is made up uh, primarily, I think the majority of our society are going to be drawing the fruits of their life from the soils of postmodern thinking. Okay, that's the one where it says there is no box, there's no God. Um, we can just live however we want. want. Either uh, love life, find purpose in life. Nothing happens after life, though, um, or something really vague and, and not in the scripture. Uh, they'll come up with. Okay, that's the kind of people you're going to come into contact with. And the goal is for us to get them back to the proper foundation because they can't understand reality. They can't understand God. They can't understand themselves if they don't have the proper foundation. All right. So, we uh, just to summarize, we we uh, believe the scriptures teach a postmodern, or excuse me, a pre-modern worldview based on an open system where God is involved in His creation and will be for all time. All right. Any brief questions or comments? Before we go, Bill. Yeah, that's, that's the thing is people can have this idea that I'm okay with God or with with uh, spiritual things because uh, whatever, um, either a, a modern worldview or a, pre, a postmodern worldview, probably more of a modern worldview coming in there. But um, but yeah, I mean it's like okay, let's let's look at this according to what God says because you can say all you want about how you're a Christian and and how your view squares with your understanding or with other people's understanding. But how does this square with 
um, what the scriptures say because that God is um, God is intervening in our reality through His Word. Sandra. Right. Yeah, that would probably be the Romantic period that there, or, or even the Enlightenment period, the modern, the second one we talked about, the modern worldview, where, yeah, it's, it's all about man over God. It's, it's man becomes the king. And they're not going to serve the Creator. You know, they, they might believe in a Creator, but, but not that He's actually, He cares about their life or that He's interacting with them. So, yeah, that's, that's, that would be, that would be Romans chapter 1 where you're talking about. Yep. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. We understand how complex these thoughts are and, and from how many different soils that people get their understandings, and we do the same. And so, Lord, help us to refine our thinking uh, by uh, renewing our minds through your word and uh, transform us in that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.